Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As student pastor, Justin Stevers shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Um, but today we're going to be back in 1 Corinthians. And when I was reading through this passage, I remembered an illustration uh, that I read back in the day. It was this like uh, leadership book. And I read it, and there's a lot of um, pastors and maybe these like inspirational speakers who have really great illustrations, but it, it, when you like look into them, it's like, okay, 20% true, right? Have you guys experienced that? Like, like they'll give a good illustration, like, oh, that's really cool. Then I check, you know, the Wikipedia, um, the, the infallible knowledge of Wikipedia, and realize, oh, they were kind of right about some of that stuff, but they took a few liberties in order to make a point. Well, well he was um, giving this illustration, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool, but I, I'm sure he was, um, he took a few liberties with that. But then uh, I actually read about it, and it turns out he was right. Uh, I, I even watched a YouTube video. So he definitely was right if the YouTube video agreed with him. Um, but back, I'll start with this. Back, back in the day, way back in the day when I was in middle school, um, in seventh and eighth grade, the summer after seventh and eighth grade, me and my buddies would go a couple times a week and play golf. We would um, go walk nine holes and we would play golf over summer. Um, and uh, our our parents were, were members there, so we could just walk on for free. It was nice. It was in the late afternoon, so no one else was really playing. So we would uh, play golf at, at least once a week, but usually like two or three times a week um, just to kill time over summer. And you would think that playing that much golf would make one good at golf. But I'm here to tell you it does not. Um, does not, unfortunately. Um, we would play regularly through the summer, and then summer would start to wind down. The fall was creeping to us, and then it would happen. You would hear that familiar noise. You would hear the honks coming from the sky, and you would look and you would see the gray devils, the Canadian geese. They would just attack the golf course, right? And they would be everywhere and anywhere you didn't want them to be. They would be in the fairway. You would, like, my buddy hit one with a golf ball. It was kind of cool, actually, and then we started trying to hit them. Um, but, but they would be everywhere you didn't want them to be. They would leave uh, little gifts everywhere you didn't want those little gifts to be, and they would be mean and obnoxious, and they would be everywhere. But you would see these, these little devils, these Canadian geese, and you would see them flying south, the winter. I'm assuming south. Um, I, I, I read that in a book when I was in kindergarten, right? Um, but these Canadian geese, I'm assuming from Canada, were going south uh, for the winter, and they would fly in this V formation. And these geese will fly hundreds and thousands of miles from, let's say, Canada uh, in that V shape. And I, I saw in that leadership book that it's actually true why they do this. There's a scientific reason for this. And if you've already heard this, pretend that you haven't, right? Like take it out of your brain, throw it away, act surprised for a second. 
but there's a scientific reason for this V shape. Uh, what the V shape does is that that first goose will flap its wings and there will be downforce, but with that downforce to the like back inside of it, there will be upforce, okay? So we're getting really scientific here. I know nothing about physics, but uh, just pretend that I do. So wind will go down. When wind goes down, something has to go up, right? So when that goose flaps its wing, that other goose at that angle behind it is going to get a little bit of wind holding it up, and then it's going to continue on down the line. So the, the geese further back are going to have an easier time flying because the wind is pushing them up. So these geese can fly further together. They can fly longer together. And um, actually, I, I don't know how you get this job, but a group of scientists somehow put heart rate monitors on pelicans. So they, they, they trapped these pelicans and somehow put a monitor on them and saw that when those pelicans flew in the V, that the, the pelican at the front, its heart rate was going fast. It was, it was crazy. He was working hard. But then the further back you go, the slower the heart rate because they had an easier time. They were using less energy. And I mean, science is cool, right? I mean, that was really cool. Bill and I could have talked about that, but I don't like them anymore. Um, but these geese, uh, these geese over the course of miles, they would start trading positions uh, so that, you know, when this one's getting tired, he would go to the back and they would switcheroo and, and so on. But these dumb, annoying, stupid little geese, these obnoxious devils were united and working together. They knew that being united and working together and being on the same page, they could do what they were doing better. They can go further. They can reach their seemingly impossible destination. They, they would do what they could never do alone. And that's the power of these Again, I, I can't emphasize enough these obnoxious gooses, geeses, unity. And I don't want to stand here and talk about geese all night, okay? I've exhausted my knowledge um, of geese. I want to get into God's word, but keep that picture in mind. The, the dumb geese know that this unity is important. The Holy Spirit knows that unity is important. Paul knows that unity is important, but for some reason, the church in Corinth and I think many, many churches ever since Corinth have forgotten how important unity is. They lose focus. So Paul has to uh, address this issue of unity. So we talked about last time, uh, Paul gave his introduction in the first nine verses, and now he's getting into the body of his letter, and he starts to address the, I mean, crazy issues that are going on in this church in Corinth, like crazy issues. And if there are a ton of issues, and if we had a whiteboard right here, and we just wrote them all down, then we would think, you know what? I would probably start with this issue, not this. Or I would start with, uh, I would prioritize, maybe, maybe this one feels a little more urgent, Paul. Maybe you should have started with this one. It doesn't initially seem like, uh, this is the most important issue. There is um, scandalous immorality in the church that even the pagans were appalled by it. There was, were people coming to church 
in order to get drunk. Um, that sounds like a weird time. There were people um, suing each other in the church because they couldn't com- have a conversation like adults. Uh, there are people trying to use God to make themselves look better. But Paul doesn't start with any of those issues. He starts by addressing the disunity in the church. And this is the first issue that Paul needs to address. And he's going to take four chapters of this letter to address this unity. Well, why? Why is Paul starting here and not the other crazy stuff happening in church? You know, I, I feel like coming to church in order to get drunk, it's a pretty, pretty crazy issue. You might want to start there, Paul. But he starts with unity because unity is Christ's goal, Christ's desire for the church. Throughout the New Testament, we see the, that this point is, is stressed and emphasized. God wants his church to be unified. He wants his church to be a team, a family marching on mission together for the goal of Christ. Um, John 13, 35. You don't have to flip there. I'll flip there. John 13, 35 says, By this, found it. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, if you have love for one another, people will know that you know me. Okay? Then 1 John, 1 John 3.14 says, we know that we have passed from death into life because. So we know because. Because why? Because we love the brothers. Because we love the brethren. So, People know that we know Christ because of our love for one another. People, we know that we are alive in Christ because of our love for one another. And then Jesus in John 17 says, I have a bookmark here. Jesus in John 17, he's praying to the Father in this high priestly prayer. And what he asks the Father is this. He says, neither pray I for these alone. So I don't just pray for these people immediately, my immediate disciples but for them also which shall believe in me, on me through their word, that they may be one. I pray that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That, so that, for this reason, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So this is a huge deal, right? Jesus says, I pray that my disciples will be one, will be united, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. Sinners, the world will know that God the Father sent Christ the Son to save sinners because of our unity with each other. That's why it's so important. Jesus says, Our greatest missionary tool, our greatest witness is not having an amazing preacher. It's not having the smartest and most academic preacher. It's not having the most energetic and loud preacher. It's not having the best musical talent. Our greatest witness is not having the best Sunday school program or a systematic door-to-door evangelism thing that'll make the, the Mormons blush. Like, that's, that's not our greatest witness. All of those are good 
And all of those are great, but our greatest witness is our unity. That's what Jesus says. That's his strategy for reaching the world. And Paul knows this thing. Paul knows this truth. And God wants his church to know this truth. So Paul writes to this divided church and says, this is first and foremost. This is what's most important right now, is that you guys get united. This needs to be fixed. The stakes are too high. So with all that in mind, let's go ahead. If you have your Bible and you're ready, let's stand and we'll read 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. Paul, writing to the church, says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath not been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them, oh, it hath, sorry, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions or rivalries among you. Now this I say, that every one of you says, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, or Peter, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Let's pray and dive into it. God, you are so good. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your gospel. We thank you for the salvation that's found in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we will hear your word, that we will fight for unity and live it out in our daily lives, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. So what I want us to notice from this passage, the main point, is that because of what Christ has done, we can have gospel unity with God. We must fight for gospel unity in the church so that we can display Christ's gospel freedom to the world. So first I want us to see that we can have gospel unity with God. This is what's most important. This is what's essential. This is the the, the preface to any kind of unity in the church. This unity with God is first and foremost, right? This is the gospel. This is our greatest need. Your most important need is not your next paycheck. It's not your promotion. It's not good grades. It's not a perfect uh, Facebook relationship. It's not uh, status or popularity. That is not your greatest need. Your greatest need, every single person's greatest need is to be made righteous before a holy and a perfect God. The God whom all of us have rebelled against and rejected 
and our sin has made us intolerable to him, has stained our heart. He cannot deal with that. He cannot put up with our evil. And when we face him in judgment, we need a justifier. We need someone to stand in our place. And if we're not united with him, he will cast us away out of his perfect presence. And we can't do anything to make ourselves right. We can't do anything to get us ready for that judgment day when we stand before him face to face. We can't do anything, but Jesus has done everything for us. Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live. Jesus died on the cross as a substitute, taking the punishment that his enemies deserved. Then he rose again, defeating sin and death. Now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, forever praying for his people in a one day return. He will make all things new. He will bring his people into perfect satisfaction, joy, the presence of God, and he will cast away the evildoer. He will cast away those who reject him for their rebellion. Put your faith in Christ today, and when you do that, you will be united with God. When you are united with Christ, you have direct access to God. You can come boldly before the throne of grace, Hebrews 4 says. We have direct, direct access to the king of the universe. And we don't only have access to God, but he wants you to come to him, right? He wants you to spend time with him. He wants you. He wants that relationship. He wants you to spend time with him. I think it was Spurgeon who gave uh, the illustration. If, if you don't know who said it, you just say Spurgeon said it, right? Um, if it was good. Um, I think it was Spurgeon who gave the illustration saying, who has the right to barge in to the king's throne room? If any Joe Schmo, not Joe, but uh, if any Joe Schmo just walked in, barged in to a king's throne room unannounced, that person could be killed instantly, no second thought. But the king's children can come in unannounced and unrestricted. The king who loves his children wants his children to come to him. They have unrestricted access to the king. Have you forgotten this truth? If, if you've received Christ, don't let this become so familiar to you. I know that's, that's maybe our temptation. That's my temptation that, yes, God is love. Yes, God wants a relationship with us. Yes, God loves us. He's our good, good father, right? And we hear that so much that we become numb to it. But how amazing is that? The king of the universe wants you to come to him. He's giving you his ear. He's giving you his attention. Don't let that become numb. You have access to your good father, to your good king. Run to him. Second, because of what Christ has done, we must fight for gospel unity in God's church. We must fight for gospel unity in the church. So we, we see those verses we read. Um, I was thinking about this passage, and back in the day, it's not so popular to talk about it uh, anymore. It was like a, a trend, but a lot of people would talk about, um, a lot of guys would talk about having a man crush, right? You guys hear, ever hear this? 
It wasn't that they actually had a crush on a man, by the way. It was, I had a man crush. I really look up to this guy. I really, uh, like, everything he does is so cool. I just want to be like him. You know, in 2009, everyone's man crush was Tim Tebow, right? He was, like, on top of the world. He was the coolest guy. He was a Christian. He was, like, he had John 3.16 written on his eye black, and, like, millions of people Googled that verse when they saw that in the championship game. Like, he was just a golden boy, right? Like everyone wanted to be Tim Tebow. That was everyone's man crush. And when I was uh, thinking about this, I um, was a little uh, embarrassed because I came to the realization that my friends and I, uh, we like to joke and kind of like, I don't know, I thought like pretend to be nerd, right? We pretend to be nerdy. Um, But I'm realizing, hold on, I think we might actually be dork. Um, I think we might actually be uh, nerds because we don't have, you know, athlete man crushes. We have uh, pastor man crushes. We have theologian man crushes. And, and you know, it's like, uh, oh, I have every Tom Schreiner book on my bookshelf. Oh, uh, I've listened to every John MacArthur sermon. Oh, I've memorized every Al Mohler podcast. Um, Whatever it is, um, it's so bad on my, uh, Lizzie had to take Haddon out. I wanted her to see her face on this. But on my 23rd birthday, Lizzie actually emailed um, one of my favorite pastor's assistants. So on my, for my 23rd birthday, she emailed uh, Mark Dever's assistant up in D.C., and he sent down a little birthday card for me, and it's on display in my office right now. It's like that's how nerdy and dorky and goofy uh, my friends and I are. Um, so uh, I was a little depressed thinking about that uh, illustration. But this little, like, pastor crush thing um, is nothing compared to what's going on in 1 Corinthians 1. So, so think of that to the 10th power. This isn't like a silly, goofy, nerdy thing that's happening in, in Corinth. This is a toxic and divisive thing. Um, people are saying, I follow Paul. I follow the great apostle who's writing so much of the New Testament. Have you read the book of Romans? Wow. But then the next guy says, you follow Paul, the boring preacher? Didn't he preach so long that that one guy fell out the window and died? Like, you follow that guy? That's silly. I follow Apollos. He's the great preacher. He's got sophisticated preaching. He is the great preacher. And then another guy comes along. Oh, Apollos, that's cringe. I follow Cephas. I follow Peter, the the spokesperson for the disciples. That's who I follow. And then you have that one cool guy in the corner who says, I follow Jesus. (laughs) You peasants, get away from me. But like I said, this, this this isn't goofy. This isn't silly. This is toxic and divisive. They're not like joking around with these guys. They're saying, I am better than you because I was baptized personally by Paul. I'm better than you because Apollos baptized me. They're, they're following what, what Greek culture was doing at this time. Greek culture um, had this thing. It was like uh, they had patrons, patrons, and like philosophers would be patrons, and they would walk around teaching, and you would follow your favorite patron, your favorite philosopher. And that would give you status in society. So who you followed would give you status. So 
I follow this, you know, this pretty important guy named soccer. I got a birthday card from soccer. I'm a pretty big deal. You follow philosopher Joe Schmo. I've never even heard of him. So I'm more important than you. And they were seeing that in Greek culture, and they were trying to bring that into the church. So they were saying, I'm more important than you because I was baptized by Paul. I'm more important than you because I was baptized by Apollos. And this is, uh, the, the, the church was trying to imitate this culture, and Paul says, stop. This is foolish. This is silly. It's killing the unity of the church. It's killing the love of the church. It's killing the witness of the church. And he goes and he shows how silly it is in verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Are you baptized in the name of Paul? No. How, if you said yes to any of those questions, you're a doofus. And if we take a step back, if we take a step back, we see how silly that is. But if we take a step back from our situation, we can see how silly some of the things that tempt us to disunity are. We might let clothes divide us. We let age and generations divide us. We might let personality divide us. Well, I love that person, but I don't have to like them. That person, they, they just get on my nerve. I can't forgive them for what they did to me. Grumbling, grudges, and gossip are diseases that creep into our church, and they will slowly kill the church's love, unity, and witness. So we have to be proactive against these things, not reactive. Yes, reactive when they happen, but we have to proactively. Uh, what's the, you know, when you take probiotics so you don't get a tummy ache later? It's tummy aches, man. They'll put me down for a couple of days. I just don't want to do anything. So you have to take a probiotic. And now if I eat something that upsets me, I'm good. We have to be pro-biotic. Eh, it doesn't work. Proactive <laughs> against disunity. <laughs> Got to test those out before I try them. Um, we can't let, we have to actively fight against these things. These are literally weapons that the enemy is using to try to weaken our churches and to make us ineffective for the gospel. We have to literally fight for the unity of the church. So we can't, we cannot let personalities and preferences get in the way of our church unity. Uh, instead of talking about that person, maybe we should try talking to that person and then praying for them. Instead of focusing on my preferences, maybe I should focus on someone else's needs. Unity is a serious matter, and we have to pour our blood, our sweat, our tears. We have to pour awkward and difficult conversation into that battle so that we can kill disunity at the source. Now, I, I do want to take a sidestep. I think I have time, probably, but I'll, I'll be fast. I do want to take a sidestep. There's people who see this um, passage and like, see, you Protestants and your thousands of denominations, 
look at this. You're clearly disobeying 1 Corinthians 1. You're clearly disunified. This obviously shows that the Lord is not with your silly Protestant movement. Well, first, um, this passage isn't necessarily wholesale forbidding denominations. Um, And hear me out on this. He's not saying uh, denominations are bad. With, With greater religious liberty, which for right now we have, uh, thank the Lord. Um, with greater religious liberty, you have uh, greater freedom to worship according to your conscience, right? So if I see something in Scripture, I don't have to go against my conscience because um, I have religious liberty right, right now. Um, you know, if I see, for instance, that infant baptism uh, is a biblical sign of the covenant, just like circumcision was in the Old Testament. If I see that in the Bible, that it's, it's not saving the baby, but it's saying that they belong to the new covenant people of God, um, hopefully that God will, will work in his timing that baby's salvation later in life when he actually understands that concept. If I believe that, I should, be, I should have the freedom to go to a Bible-believing church that has the same conviction, right? I, I shouldn't have to compromise on that issue. So I would go to a Bible-believing, gospel-centered uh, PCA church, Presbyterian Church of America, not PCUSA, because um, that's a different story. PCA church, um, and, and I wouldn't have to compromise on that conviction. Now, we are Baptists. We don't see that as a convincing argument from Scripture. We disagree with them. So we, in uh, not compromising, we meet in a Baptist church. Well, how can I tell what's a good reason to divide, and how can I tell what's a bad reason to divide? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I love talking about this nerdy topic, but there's a little thing called theological triage. Everyone say triage on three. One, two, three. Okay. So triage is like a medical term, right? Like you go to an emergency room, they go do triage. Like if I have an insane head wound, I hope that I get priority, priority over the guy with the stubbed toe, right? Like they're doing triage to see the urgency. Well, this theological triage is, is showing the urgency of different issues and what we can agree and disagree on. And I kind of, ooh. I think Tim edited and made my uh, thing look cooler. Um, it probably didn't. Anyway, um, we, have, we have, let's say, three tiers. There's that middle tier of essentials. Th- these are first-tier issues. These are what you must believe to be a Christian. We believe in the Trinity. We believe that Christ is fully, truly God and truly man. We believe in justification by grace alone through faith alone, right? Like these are things that make you a Christian. If you deviate from this, you're, we're not talking about the same Christianity anymore. So first tier issues, those are important. Those are essentials. But then you step out. We have second tier issues. And these are conviction, like we talked about. Baptism, maybe certain structures of church government. Um, these things, we are united in the gospel still, but just practically, because of the implications of our convictions, we will have to worship in a different church because you would be stepping on my conscience if you baptize a baby. That's why I uh, intentionally got COVID a couple weeks ago so we wouldn't have to go to the baby dedication. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. 
um, that I made with uh, David earlier, and it was a bad joke. Um, forget I ever said that. Third-tier issues are opinions and preferences. Like, we can disagree with each other and stay in the same church. Um, maybe if a part of Scripture is vague, maybe we disagree on a certain symbol in the book of Revelation. Maybe we disagree on, on the carpet color. We can disagree but stay in the same church. And this is never black and white. This is never a black and white issue. But the, the point is, when we have that first tier, we are united in the gospel. We are team Jesus. Us in a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, Presbyterian Church of America are on the same team. Sunday through Saturday, we are trying to win souls for Christ. We are trying to expand his kingdom. Like, that's the goal. That's where we're unified. So there is great unity in, even in Protestantism. Um, you know, today there, there's, there's, well, two temptations and then a big American temptation. Today the temptation is to make nothing a first-tier issue, right? Like, oh, your truth is your truth. You know, if, if you don't believe the Trinity, that's fine. God's going to accept you. Well, that's, that's kind of the spirit of the age today, but that's wrong. Don't believe that lie. But then there's the other extreme. You know, Martin Luther says we're a, a drunk man getting on the horse. Um, we can't ever find the middle. We're always trying to fall off on different extremes. That, that joke never lands when I say it. I need to stop trying. Um, another temptation is we make everything first-tier issues. So everything. Even we put whether someone wears a tie to church alongside the Trinity, and those are both essential to your salvation. Well, that, again, is another lie. So don't let legalism, don't let liberalism creep in to your understanding of this. But also, I don't think that's necessarily most churches' temptations. I think consumerism, American consumerism, is most churches' temptations in America today. You know, Burger King spoiled it. Have it your way, right? Um, I want the songs that I like to be sung. I want the pastor that I like to listen to. I want these programs. I want, I want, I want, and we, church, we jump from church to church to find it. Don't fall into that divisive temptation either. Stick with your Bible-believing gospel-centered, messed-up church, and commit, serve, help others grow, and fight for unity. And I need to hurry. Because of what Christ has done, we can be united with God. We must fight for gospel unity with the church, in the church, so that we can display Christ's gospel freedom to the world. Paul says, he wasn't sent to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Well, if you read Matthew 28, the Greek, Great Commission, yes, Paul was sent to baptize, right? Go, therefore, into all the nations, uh, baptizing, or making disciples, baptizing and teaching, right? Like, that's the Great Commission. Yes, Paul was sent to baptize, but he's saying his, his emphasis here is not to create followers of Paul. They're not to see how many, you know, I, I baptized 500. Our church baptized 1,000 last year. How many did you guys get? That's not what Paul is for. That's not what Paul is about. He's saying, I'm about the gospel. And once we get the gospel priority in line, everything else will follow. 
Paul isn't trying to become this patron. He's, he's trying to show how people can find freedom in Christ. The gospel is the mission and the goal, and everything falls, flows from that. And really quick, notice how he doesn't uh, preach with great wisdom of words. The gospel, Romans 1.16, is the power of God to salvation, right? The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Not your ability, not my ability. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Christ's message. That's why our unity is one of the best methods of witnessing, not a program. It's because the gospel, it shows the gospel. So Paul preaches Christ. He shares truth and he lets the Lord do the work. And this is freeing to you and me. This is freeing to us. We don't have to be an amazing speaker. We don't have to be an amazing evangelist. We don't have to know all the answers to every possible skeptical question someone has about Christianity. The pressure is not on me. What I have to do is be like Paul and just preach the gospel. You, you do not have to share the gospel perfectly. You just have to share the perfect gospel. So let that weight come off your shoulder. Fight for unity and share this perfect gospel that we have. And this church, this church, Central Baptist, will make an eternal impact for Christ's kingdom. So I pray all of us in here can be like those obnoxious and dumb geese, and that we will be united, aiming, helping each other to the goal, the goal of Christ. We'll go further together as we point each other in the world to Christ. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.